All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. This is the uh, Eurofolk Radio Network. You're listening to Bloodlines. The date is August 16th, 2020. And I would say that we are in the middle of the end times. I don't know how much time we have left, Michael, but uh, it can't be very much because we know that uh, this so-called COVID-19 nonsense is a Rothschild Rockefeller psyop, absolute psyop, and I came up with a new slogan. The only thing we have to fear is fear of COVID, <laughs> That's the, because COVID is not real. We, I don't have. I'm unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, I'm having to broadcast from my backup computer, and I don't have the theme music. That's why we just went right into it. So, how are you doing this morning, Michael? I'm doing very good here in a very sunny Stockholm, Sweden. So greetings to you all. So I'm doing oh, very well. And shut you know up. I do Shut <laughs> up. We're suffering here. <laughs> no, don't be bragging about how good you are. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I did ask, didn't I? <laughs> all right. So, yeah, and uh, actually maybe uh it's interesting because Sweden uh never uh, had a an official government imposed lockdown, correct? Uh, that's correct. Okay. And so I'm sure all you people are dying of COVID-19 if the propaganda is to be believed. Uh, no, we are not. No okay. one is dying of COVID. So that's just a lie. I don't know. Is it a flu or is it, a, is it just a cold? I don't know. Okay. Well, yeah. Actually, I did a report yesterday that in Britain, more people are dying of the flu than COVID-19 by, th- by thousands, uh, so that COVID-19 has been backing off. And you and I know very well that the reporting on COVID-19 has always been bogus. The, the uh, incentive for diagnosing a COVID case, at least in America, I don't know about Britain, is $9,000, depending on which source, some say three for every COVID diagnosis, okay? So every doctor and hospital has a tremendous incentive to diagnose someone with COVID, even though they do not, okay? And also I'm having difficulty getting into the chat room uh, from this computer. I'll I'll see if I can fix that while we're uh, engaged here. And then uh, $39,000 per uh, ventilator. So you put the, and then that's tremendous uh, without any, uh, real uh, scientific uh, judgment of whether or not the person actually has this disease. Okay, it's all it's all bogus, yeah, and you know, so if uh, if certain Swedish companies require a face mask, you know, so I don't know if you have the rules here, but we can actually go into a, a store without a face mask if we uh, have a pre-existing condition, just tell them I can't wear a face mask because I need to have a full use of oxygen. I have a medical condition. They're not even allowed to ask you what that medical condition is if you make that statement. I don't know if you have anything like that in Sweden. No, I'll, well, we don't have the uh, for we don't have so much of face masks here. They're more of a, what do you say, um, mandatory level, but it doesn't force it on people. But maybe that will be a loophole if they try to force it here. But I heard from my neighbor uh, nation of Denmark that they are they are um, after some kind of COVID spread. It's probably just fake lies, whatever. But they are um, thinking about enforcing face masks on on um, public spaces. Oh, wow. 
Okay. But Denmark has been more the opposite of Sweden. Okay. In right. The, they have been very hard on this uh, on this uh, COVID nonsense. Same as Germany, the nation yes. we are going to speak more about today. But right. they have been very, and it's so it's so clear. Uh, I don't know, if it's clear, but um, when people are diverting from their God, what happens? They are then this happens. Then you have this yeah. craziness. You have this. People are just they are like ships. You can make them to believe anything. You can make them believe the uh, the the moon is made of green cheese. You can make them believe anything. It's Swiss cheese. Let me correct. Uh, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, because we have been brought up to be authoritarians, and we, so whoever uh, puts on a white lab coat, right. If some guy comes yeah. on the t- TV screen with a white lab coat or ha- is sitting at behind a uh, desk w- in a newsroom, then uh, people have been trained to just believe what that person says without even questioning authority. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just because you have wearing a lab robe or because you have the title of having, what to say, doctor, whatever, then you believe everything I say, but no, you don't, because you have you only have a practice, you have a license to practice it. You you are not uh, expert. You 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 are practicing it, and it's just right. bogus. And that is the and the sorry state as most of those people are are having the they are very dominant. Is it the left or the right brain? So they are very more focused on the details instead of seeing the whole pictures. I yeah. think you remember this better than what I do. Is it that they are very um, right is it the left brain dominance or is it the other right. way around the left is intellect the, the right is the uh, how should I put it, is it a good, I don't know if there's a really good term for it but uh, yeah the bigger picture is a good way of putting it yeah ow yeah, so they are very left brain orientated they only look at the small small pieces they can't see the whole picture my left, my right brain just kicked in. It's painful. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, yeah, one is focuses on details. Very, uh, very, uh, in fact, uh, like your eyes de- uh, on the very small type <laughs> on, this, on this TV screen. So since I was scrambling to get the show on the air, having to start up the other computer, and I don't have access to the chat room, but I can see what people are saying in there. So watch your mouth. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so uh, where we're going to do part two of this article. Let me just get it for everybody. I'll see if I, I can't put it in the chat room. Germany, a branch of Israel by Mikkel Sternholm Krag. And uh, uh Pick us up where we left off. I'm not sure where because uh, I didn't have time to look and remind myself where we left off. Uh, we did left left off with your home uh, home um, place, Swab- the Swabians. That's Swabians. What okay. Swabians. That's that's where we left off, and we they are said to be from the tribe of Levi. Okay. So we are now into the. I don't know if you do any recap, but we have both spoke about the Levite being the. Um, being uh, being part of Switzerland, and uh, then also we have been speaking about the southern more parts of um, of uh, Germany, Bavaria, and Austria. That is ascribed to being the tribe of of Simeon, and we have also and we also have spoken about the the western part uh, toward France, the eastern 
Eastern Franks and the Western Franks. The Eastern Franks then made up the, the Kingdom of France, and the Western one, they settled down in Germany, in yeah. the Western okay. part. So this this gives us some kind of detail why Germany has been such a um, split up nation for so long time. So uh, Eli, we had a plan when we're done with this article also go into the unification of Germany because right. it had been very late in in history historical times. Yes, yeah, that's why Germany had very little colonial presence in Africa and other places. So uh, don't blame the Germans when you when you uh, talk about colonial Western countries. <laughs> the Germans are not guilty. In fact, the uh, entire accusation that Germans are evil people and have been a cause of trouble throughout history is absolutely false. The Germans hardly ever engaged in any warfare against other nations, although they did in consolidating the German nation, had a, a brief war with uh, Austria, and a brief war, I think, uh, with Sweden. Yeah, with Sweden. We'll c- get into that. But the vast majority of wars on the European continent were started by the British. Absolutely by the British. War after war after war after war, of course, uh, fomented by the Rothschilds. You know, So this accusation against the German people as a warlike people is absolutely false. And we can get into that later. All right. So, but uh, yeah, the, under the heading of Swabians... Alemanians and Swiss Germans of the tribe of Lewa. And I made a mistake last time I said the Germans refer to themselves as Aleman. No, that's how the French and other Latin speaking countries refer to the Germans as Aleman. Okay. We, we Germans refer to ourselves as Deutsch. Wir sind Deutsch, Deutschland. Okay. So that's how we refer to ourselves. And so, so somewhere in that Ahead, under that heading, I, I believe, is where we left off. So I'll turn it over to you. And, yes, we, okay. we did left off. at. We will start up with the Saxon Germans of the tribe of Judah. Okay. I guess this is, this is a part of, of Germany that most of us in the um, uh, Christian identity movement are referring to Germany, to being of the tribe of Judah. So um, right. uh, I will start up, and then we maybe have to make some corrections here in the article as we go along. We will see. Um, the Saxons were a large Germanic tribe which settled in, um, yeah, now it's German for me, uh, Schla- uh, Schleswig-Holstein, Holstein, in the third mm. century. Well, that's isn't that the territory that used to belong to Sweden? Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, hold, yeah, it, yeah, that's where many of our uh, we had um, and what do you say and. and what is it? A, a duke that came from this this place, and the former kings they had very very uh, tie ties with those with this house. So yes, and we That's also the, got yeah that uh, Bismarck took that province away from Sweden, and uh, I think the reasoning there was because there were more German speaking people in that province by that time than Swedes. Okay, that that anyway that was that was his justification. We can talk more about that later, but yeah, please continue. Yes, and so in the third century AD, the Saxons settled in north, um, northwest, north, uh, west, northeast, and Netherlands. Okay. Uh, I don't know. It's some maybe some text that's missing. That's why maybe I don't really get the whole whole yeah. word. Have a have okay. a look. If I... Yeah, let me Sorry. let me check this here. Okay, the Saxons settled in northwest Germany. And the northeastern Netherlands. Okay, so the Netherlands would be, of course, north, actually northwest of Germany. Okay, so uh, then uh, 
so that area there on the uh, Baltic coast, you know, not, not far from Sweden and Norway, okay, across that huge bay. What's that huge bay called that uh, that uh, Sweden, I think, and uh, Finland and Norway? Uh, yeah, it is Östersjön, it is the Baltic. Okay, that's the, the Baltic Sea, Baltic. So, okay, so that's pretty much like an inland sea, but it's connected to the Atlantic Ocean where it oh. lets out, okay? It's, it's no, pretty I big. Yes, pretty big. big. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I can already get the whole because of what it is. So in the 3rd century AD, the Saxons settled in northwest Germany and in the northeastern Netherlands. The original called uh, region called Saxony covered what today is Lower Saxony and northern um, North right. Rhine-Westphalia. Okay. But the region was called Lower Saxony when the center of gravity of the, of the duchy of Saxony began moving up the Elbe into what today are a federal state of Saxony, um, Amhalt and Saxony, Upper Saxony. The Saxons are of the tribe of Judah. Okay, I think the, the confusion here is Lower Saxony, if he, if he were saying Northern Saxony, uh, it's c- kind of the same situation uh, that we have with Egypt along the Nile River. When people say Upper Egypt, they're not talking about the north part of Egypt. They're talking about the highlands that get higher and higher and higher as you go south, okay? Because the Nile River flows from south to north. And, and lower Egypt is the lowlands that where the Nile dumps into the Mediterranean. So that's the terminology I believe he's using. So don't confuse north with lower, okay? A lot of people will think that. In fact, that's what I thought when I first was looking at this until I realized that's what he's talking about. Okay, back to you. Yes, so here is the, um, the trade, one of the trademarks of Judah. But here maybe we do some corrections. They say that Judah and money. <laughs> okay, oh. making money. Um, yeah, so that's why I think we maybe need to do some corrections. We'll see what he says. He thinks they're Jews. He must think that the <laughs> Jews are part of Judah. Yeah, okay. We'll- We'll see where he gets with this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Making money and profit is one of the tribe of Judah's trademarks. Well, we don't know. (laughs) Well, Um, it's uh, true of everybody. But, uh, you know, what about usury? You know, that's confined exclusively to Jews, you know, so not not to Judah. No, exactly. We see if this is just normal, normal, uh, what do you say, commercial, commercial stuff that they're doing, but not, uh, uh, not, uh, not this usury stuff with exchange rates and stuff like this. Right. We'll see what they When the sons of Israel had decided to kill Joseph, Judah, the natural leader, suggested that they could make a profit by selling him instead. And this is from Genesis 37, 26 until 28. Uh, and Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. There then passed by a Midianite mer- merchantman, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. Yes, now it's interesting. I think the point here is that the house of Judah, or the tribe of Judah, was much more um, focused 
on blood kinsmanship, okay? The German word for blood kin is Landsleute. Landsleute. It doesn't, it means the, pe- the same people of the land, but it does mean kinsmen in German, even though the focus is on the land. And so Adolf Hitler, you know, he tried to unify the German people under this concept. So, but that's what we're supposed to do. The Bible tells us we are supposed to unify under our own tribal kinsmen and keep that relationship for all time. Okay. So whether Hitler realized that he was an Israelite of the house of Judah, probably not. Okay. But that is the tradition of the tribe of Judah that he would call say that, well, they are the more racist of all the other tribes, at least they have been. And actually, I think that we see signs of that uh, happening again, because there was a huge demonstration in Germany against COVID very recently. I think the German people are beginning to sniff this one out and say, uh-oh, we got problems here. <laughs> so, uh, but, but back to you, I think that uh, is a, t- a typical trait of Judah. Back to you. Yes. So here we see how that's how he describes it then with Judah's instinct for making money and profit was fulfilled in the Hanseatic League, which in the Middle Ages was a commercial league of approximately 200 primary North German cities, which gained tremendous economical, but also political and military power in Northern Europe through aggressive trade. And here we have the Lübeck, was a central city of the Hanseatic League, which reached its zenith in its 14th and 15th century, where it is also had uh, contours in London, Brygge, Bergen, and uh, Novgorod. Since the beginning of the 16th century, the importance of the Hanseatic League gradually faded. Uh, the contours closed one after one until the Hanseatic League officially shut itself down in 1862. At, the, at that point of time, were only three cities left in the Hanseatic League, Lübeck, Hamburg and Bremen. And uh, Hamburg and Bremen was under, under Swe- uh, has been under, now I put in the Swedish point, but they were under Swedish, has been, been under this, the Swedish uh, authority, I think, also I read in the chat room here also that at the, this um, uh, Holstein that was on the, it was from Denmark that uh, Bismarck took the land, and I think that is correct. Uh, Sweden didn't have that part of Germany that late because Sweden's power had had uh, faded after the death of the of Karl uh, uh, Then the Swedish Empire had begin uh, that the Reich had begun to yeah to to diminish. So, yeah, here is the Hanseatic League, um, Eli. What more do you have to about, about this? Because this was an, an Han, the Hansa, they call it, Hansas. They were like a mer- mer- merchant uh, league that were operating all of Europe. Yeah, um, okay. That. Yeah, well, that's probably uh, uh, talking about Prussia, and uh, maybe Prussia is that area of, of northern Germany that uh, consisted of the main seafaring tribes because Germany is a huge country. And the further south you go from that area, the fewer sailors you would have, right? <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, the, so the trade with 
outside nations would have been engaged in by northern Germany, not so much by the rest of Germany. Okay. Yep. And uh, what I know that was from Liebeck that my the the that was where um, the Swedish king got their what is a mercenaries to make make us free from the Danish people. So it was from Liebeck they came. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and then France and Germany have always contested Alsace and Lorraine, the two huge uh, agricultural areas, and uh, Germany and France had always been fighting over that area. Uh, but I'd say the 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 further East, you go uh, from Alsace. I believe Alsace is more west. Lorraine is more east. That the the, the eastern provinces they were German-speaking people, and the western ones were French-speaking people. And but nevertheless, the predominant language was German. But France wanted that Alsace-Lorraine areas because it was such a rich agricultural area, and uh, so Germany and France had been fighting over that for centuries, really. Okay, so. Uh, and uh, I think the Versailles Treaty took away a lot of that territory from Germany, gave it to France because they had been coveting that area, right? And this is actually what led to World War II because France went in actually militarily after the Versailles Treaty and took a lot of that territory away from Germany. Back to you. Yeah, wasn't that this pro- this wasn't that uh, the rural the rural area where they had a lot of uh, right. in, in the- yeah. Highly industrialized, yes. Industrial, yeah, with all the all the production. Then the French came in there and occupied it. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so and also guess they, yeah, and okay. But, uh, but it is con- true that Judah, uh, he was the one that had mercy on on Joseph, which uh, the other tribes did not want to have. Okay, but and I think. Hitler actually tried to return the favor <laughs> because he did not want war with Britain. Otherwise, uh, Dunkirk never would have happened, right? Uh, Hitler actually let, he had the British troops surrounded at Dunkirk and he let them go. His generals were aghast at that decision because he did not want war with Britain. Back to you. Yeah, that's the. But the historians say say something else. They say more now. It was incompetent, uh, or I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it turned out to be a very bad decision on Hitler's part. He should have taken them prisoner or something and used them for, uh, you know, bargaining, you know, bargaining chips to make concessions on behalf of Britain. That was a huge military error. One one of the worst in all of history. Back to you. Yeah, so they were probably correct that it wasn't a mistake by him. Yeah, but... right. Okay, okay. Uh, should we then continue then? Yes. So, today, nine German cities and the Dutch cities officially call themselves Hanseatic cities. That is, Hans, uh, Hans, Hansestadt Lübeck, Hansestadt uh, Rostock, etc. Judah's instinct for mo- making money and profit was also fulfilled in the German mark, which was known as the most stable European currency. It is also fulfilled in the European Central Bank, which administer- administrates the money policy of the 16 counties in Eurozone, and which is situated in Frankfurt, Germany. Well, here maybe we need to do some corrections. I don't believe that is a case of being Judah, don't you think? This is not right. Judah's making. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's correct. I think he is confusing the he is including Jewry as part of Judah. However, uh, there's great truth in what he's saying. If we just exclude the Jews, 
even today, after World War II, Germany is the most economically stable country in Europe, right? Why is that? Because the Germans are good at industry, science, agriculture, you name it. The, the Germans lead in all of that stuff. And that's why they're a great, uh, you know, economically, not because they're merchants, but because they're good at what they do. I mean, uh, it, America runs on German electricians. <laughs> okay, German electricians, keep your lights on, folks. That's what they do, okay? And carpenters and, uh, you know, brick masons, you know, are, we are good at all these trades, okay? And that's why we're good at commercialism, because we're good at these things. We're, we don't go into banking like the Jews do. We're just good at these things, and that's why we make things work. Back to you. Yeah, and then probably get some entities that like to um, get profit out of that work and don't yeah. want to do anything himself that's right that's right uh, and, and germans are fleissig which means uh, busy they like to keep busy we don't like to stand around idle and we look down we give the evil eye to those who stand around leaning against buildings doing nothing right and so consequently uh you know germans uh, are motivated they're they're workers they're hard workers Etc. Etc. It has nothing to do with trying to rule the world. Maybe we should have tried to rule the world. Okay, we wouldn't be in this position vis-a-vis jury if we did. All right, back to you. Yeah, and the same. We have the word also. This, uh, what do you say, Fleissig? That's Fleisig. the word. Fleissig. Yeah. F L E I S S I G. Fleissig. Yeah, we have a similar word for that in Swedish called flitig. And that is um, the same. That's the same meaning. And and uh, yeah, Swedish are also a bit. Um, yeah, they don't either like people that just hang around. But maybe yeah. it's more in Germany. Germans are probably more in that worker. I uh, I think I know that. But yeah, yeah. And the same word, very similar. Yes. Yeah. And even at Auschwitz, Arbeit macht Leben Our work makes life sweet. Okay. Yeah, because it gives you a sense of accomplishment. Okay, but it seems to me only white people have this sense of accomplishment. Blacks certainly don't. They just go in for their paycheck. And most civilizations outside of white, the white race civilizations have always been dictatorships where the people, for, let's take Chinese, for example. You know, they work to the extent that they need to feed themselves. They don't have any, uh, you know, consciousness of colonialism like the white race has because you know the, the bible says we would have that we would have that because he wants us to take over the world and rule in a compassionate way not the uh, usurious way that the jews do okay and administrate uh, what did adams uh, ta- have dominion take dominion uh genesis 12 3 said the world the other races of the world if they bless you, they will be blessed. If they curse you, they will be cursed. But uh, since, of course, we're now living in the age of Esau, the dominion of Esau until the judgment day, that has all been changed. And now we're under Esau's, you know, Esau is kneeling on our necks and using the other races to oppress us. And that's what the reality And This is, I mean, uh, Michael, I can't say any more about how accurate biblical prophecy is once you understand who Israel is, who these tribes are. That's why this study is so absolutely important. Back to you. 
Yeah, I fully agree. It makes the uh, this is like an that it, it open up the Bible to be a li this living book. It opens up. It's a key. You need to unlock it. That's one of the major keys to know who is who. When you right. know who is who, you are able to discern. You are able to see stuff more clearly. Amen. Amen. Now it's interesting too that virtually all of the tribes of Israel, you know, lived on the coast of you know the east coast of the Mediterranean. The tribe of Dan was the most, Dan lived in ships. Dan abode in ships. And the other tribes, Asher, Judah, all of them were seafarers. You cannot say this about Jews. Not at all. No, they bought the ship. Yeah, they, they owned the ship, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Please continue. Uh, Yes, let's take now the blessings from Jacob, Jacob's blessing to Judah, and see how that is fulfilled. And uh, Jacob's, Jacob's blessed Judah with the following words. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stopped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall ruse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until um, Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the wine, and his ass called unto the choice wine. He washed his garment in wine and his cloth in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Okay, very good. Well, Shiloh is a reference to Yahshua Messiah. And this is actually a dual prophecy because the first time he came, he redeemed all 12 tribes at Calvary. And so uh, regathered, although they weren't regathered physically in Judea, but they were regathered under the Holy Spirit wherever we happen to be, okay? Now, but this, this is a dual prophecy. We're going to be reunited when he comes again as the bride of Christ, okay? So the tribe of Judah or the, the leaders of Judah have become and have been the monarchies of all of the European nation states under Judah. They're all descendants of Judah. Now, I know there's controversy about QE2 and whether or not she herself has uh, Edomite blood, but certainly Prince Charles does, and certainly her husband, the Duke of, I think, well, Wellington is, uh, whatever Duke he is, uh, QE2's husband, he's got, uh, Jewish blood, but uh, I don't think that the Swedish uh, uh, monarchy has Jewish blood. I don't know. What's your opinion? I'm a bit uh, puzzled about this because I know that the kings uh, before Bernadotte, they were, were surely not, but then Bernadotte came here and it has been said in um, has been criticized that he is an, an what do you say, an, an, um, he yeah. could have been one of the Edomites, but I don't know. I haven't seen any more proof of it. And they also said that he was an, an what, what was this? Those red, the name on those, uh, he was an, um, ah, what was the name on those uh, you, in this, during the revolution? Um, they were, yeah, I don't, forgot the name. 
what the Swedish Revolution, uh, French Revolution? Oh no, the French Revolution. You have French. this the red. What was the name of them? Uh, what did they call themselves? I forgot the oh, name. The J- of Jacobins. The Jacobins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I okay. think they called them. A- he damned Jacobins. Some also, right. yeah. Yeah, but, but they, those, they those were free. Yeah, sorry, those were Freemasons that were under the thumb of the Jews, whether they realized it or not. Okay, they called themselves yeah. Jacobins. Yeah, yeah. So you can be, you know, you can be a member of the you know, the elite in Europe and not be Jewish. You know, they simply use you, and uh, certainly they're using Queen Elizabeth. You know, whatever her r- racial status. And that's how they control the world is by incorporating our people into their ruling elite and manipulating them. Okay, so so you can have a king who is full-blooded Judahite, which he would be, and uh, still cooperating with the Jews. Now, in fact, unfortunately, the history of our kings, kings and queens, is that they cooperate with the Jews because the Jews take advantage of them financially by getting them into de- debt, getting their countries into debt. And that thus compromising our kings and queens. Back to you. Yeah, that has always been the case with some of our queens that had had contacts with uh, the Hamburg uh, in Hamburg with other religious people, as they write in Swedish history books, and we know who they were. Yes. And it was also said when the kings were uh, were ascending the throne. In the Swedish realm, they also said that that you that uh, to keep away the forgian the forgian um, uh, moneylenders. The, mm-hmm. they, that was one of their their that they said when they rose on the throne. That was one of their um, yeah their promises to keep it away. Right, right, yeah. But uh, you know, secretly behind the scenes, and this has been our problem all along, that our leaders have made secret deals with the Rothschilds and their entire Jewish banking establishment against the wishes of Yahweh and against the wishes of their own people. This is the reason, this is how the Jews have taken over the world. And they do control the world. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah, that is okay. the the sore matter of it, that uh, yeah. they have gone. They have. They are. They are humans themselves. They are Adamites themselves, and they they take advantage of it. Yes. Okay. Should we see now what he what the comment is here uh, from the author here? So he said like this: that the the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until he will come is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is now spiritual king of the Israelite. I don't, want to, I don't want to use this one and non-Israelite Christian nations. I think that is incorrect. Yes. Uh, this prophecy, however, is also fulfilled in the fact that a large proportion of European nobility has German roots, which point to the part of German Germany being Judah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, quick, I took a quick look at the chat room and uh, I was corrected. Wow, this stupid email pro- uh, you know, and you can't get into the chat room to comment. <laughs> but Bavaria Man says that the correct expression is Arbeit macht frei, which means work liberates. Okay, that's what that, ex- and that's what uh, the uh, insignia above the gate of Auschwitz says Arbeit macht frei, work liberates. And that's correct. Work, you know, because you become a self sustained person by having a trade and being able to support yourself with your trade. All right, that's, uh, you know, I don't think blacks have any kind of slogan like that. 
right? And Brother Abair says, supposedly the rightful heir to the British throne is Greg Hallett, who claims to be the true king of England, but he's in exile in Australia right now, okay? So we'll see how all that develops. But I think, I, I truly believe that Queen Elizabeth II, uh, with her genealogy being the 144th descendant of Adam, uh, that's uh, that may be a very or 153rd. I forget, I forget I forget which number it is, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we're very very close to the end, and Queen Elizabeth II is probably going to be the last monarch of England because everything is falling apart as we speak. Back to you. Yeah, isn't she also this? Now I don't remember the exact number. This fish, the the um, this prophecy. Someone has counted all the royalties in England and counted that she must be the last of them. Yes. Yeah. And it's either 144 or 153. I can't remember at the moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. One of those significant numbers in scripture. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. she's the last one and they can't. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The big, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Should we continue then? Yes. Uh, here is some more than uh, here. We said Henry, the father, Heinrich der Finkler, was Duke of Saxony from 912 and became King of the Germany in 936. He is considered to be the founder and first king of the medieval German state, which until then was known as East uh, Francia. Henry's family, the uh, Ottonian dynasty, named after Henry's son, Otto, Otto I, and also called the Saxon dynasty, ruled Germany until 1024. Okay. And we have Queen Margareta, the second of Denmark, uh, is, the, is of the house of uh, Glücksburg, which organized in uh, Glücksburg, a small town in Angria, which today is part of the German part of um, Schle- um, Schle- Schleswig. Right, Schleswig. Now it's interesting uh, because the uh, the old legends say that the Angles and the Saxons always traveled together, okay? But they maintained their uh, identity. So the Angles would be the house of Joseph, okay? So the house of Joseph and the house of Judah traveled together across Europe and and ultimately and Anglo-Saxons. Uh, the oh, I can't remember their names. But the, the two leaders of those tribes crossed from Europe into England and invaded England. And that's how England, be, uh, how Britain became known as England, Angleland. Okay. Right. With a lot of Judah incorporated into the mix there. Okay. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So until 1863, Denmark's royal family was of the house of um, Oldenburg, which originated in uh, Sch- uh, Schleswig Holstein. Um, uh, the British Queen Elizabeth II, okay, here she is, yes, <laughs> is yes. of the House of, of uh, Windsor, which originally was called uh, the House of uh, Saxe-Coburg-Gotha, uh, uh, and organized in uh, duches in uh, um, Thrungia and Bavaria. Right. The House, the house of Saxe-Coburg-Gotha has ruled uh, Britain since 1901. See, you're but, ruled by Germans, all you Brits. You don't even know it. <laughs> Back to you. So, but during World War One, they changed their German-sounding names to the House of uh, Windsor, 
From 1714 to 1901, Britain was ruled by the House of Hanover, which originated in Hanover in yeah. Lower Saxony. Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't mention uh, Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria was the of the House of Saxe-Coburg. Okay. And she spoke German, <laughs> right? She, I think she had to learn English while she was on the throne. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so now in 1902, um, the Reverend uh, V.M.H. Milner traced the lineage of the British Royal House back to King David in the Royal House of Britain and enduring dynasty. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, So I guess that's a book, The Royal House of Britain and Enduring Dynasty. I haven't heard of that book. Okay, Uh, I should get that. Okay, back to you. Okay, so now we come to the camp of Judah. Um, when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, the tribe of Judah lead the camp of Judah, which included the tribes of Issachar and Zebulon, and was on the east side of the um, tabernacle. That's from Numbers 2, 3 until 9. This is fulfilled in the German Saxons Judah and Dutch Zebulon and the uh, Frisians, Frisians, Ishakar living in adjacent territories. Yes, I think uh, Beethoven is a Frisian, if I'm not mistaken. They have a slightly different spelling. Um, Ludwig van Beethoven, V-A-N, instead of Ludwig von, V-O-N, Beethoven. But I, I believe it's pronounced the same way. They just spell it differently. Mm-hmm, Okay. Um, okay, and Germany is made up of several tribes descending from Leah, Jacob's wife. The Netherlands' independence from the Holy German Roman Empire in 1581, effectively, and um, 1648, internationally, internationally recognized, can be compared to the birth of Zebulon, Leah's sixth son. Hmm, okay, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now he speaks about DNA of the modern Germans. I don't know if you want to go into this, or we, I don't know. Yeah, well, we can read, uh, go ahead, read the passages. Uh, there's the, He has these charts, which t- would take a lot of time to go through. So uh, maybe I'll just pick a couple of, go ahead and read the pa- uh, passages, and I'll just read from the charts very briefly. Yeah, so here we have, through secular and biblical history, the Germans can therefore be traced back to the lost tribe of Israel. But the science of genetics also proves that modern German genetically are more or less of the same stock as the Scandinavians, Dutch, British, French, and other nations of Israelite ancestry. Amen. The Germans' genetic relationship to ancient people. The Swiss DNA testing institute, IGENA, has made statistics over how modern German, modern European nations are genetically related to ancient people of the first uh, millennium AD. Geneva got the following results. Okay, well, that's a very broad, uh, an entire millennium, but we can trace our migrations back to 745 BC when our people migrated from Asa, or Acer, Assyria, okay, across the Caucasus Mountains, which is where we got our name Caucasian. These were the, the remaining tribes, who, primarily the 10 northern tribes, with a lot of Judah mixed in. However, many of the Judahites remained behind in the kingdom of Parthia, 
which was still ruled over by Zerah Judah. I mean, I'm sorry, Pharaoh's uh, Judah. Zerah Judah was already in Britain and is known as the Celts on, of the mainland. So th they didn't really come out of, uh, Pharaoh's Judah didn't come out of northern Mesopotamia, you know, the, the Fertile Quest until about two or 300 AD. So there's nearly an entire millennium uh, it took for all of the Israelites to move out of Mesopotamia into Europe. And there's a prophecy, uh, I believe it's in Isaiah, that the, the rivers of uh, 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 that area would be dried up, okay? Well, they have not literally dried up. What, what that means is that the migrations of Israelites into Europe from that area will dry up, will come to an end. And that's what, exactly what has happened. Back to you. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the that's when we have when we read uh, waters and rivers in the Bible. This often refers to the migrations and peoples. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So they give percentages. Uh, uh, the Vikings, uh, Germany, uh, Austria. The Germans, uh, Austrian blood is thirty-five percent German. Switzerland is thirty percent. Netherlands forty percent. Gives percentages. In other words, uh, what's happened is the. Israelite tribes have been dispersed and their blood, the blood of various tribes exists in all of the Germanic nations, all of the Israel European nations. Uh, but uh, they're primarily one tribe will predominate, you know, so Denmark would be Danes, okay? The, the, the Finns and Frisians would be, uh, what's the tribe he says here? Ishikar. Issachar, okay, yeah, and uh, and then Zebulon, Holland, okay, so we can say there's a predominant tribe in every one of these countries, I think we can safely say. Back to you. Yeah, that's what you can see. You can see, for example, yeah, uh, well, we can see, well, Denmark is pretty close to Sweden and Norway, but they are, they are different in genetically, and that right. is... That is how it is. So, but uh, Sweden and Norway are based on the same people. Yeah. They are the same. They melt yeah. together. They Naphtali and Asher melt together. Right, right. Okay, so uh, go ahead. He gives the Y DNA in the following chart, but there's like three short paragraphs leading to the next chart. Yeah, so I can I read them. Ayena's yeah. DNA statistics show that the German genetically are close related to especially the British and French. Okay. The German, British, and French are all descended primarily from the Celts and secondly from Germanic tribes and or Vikings. Mm -hmm. And German um, Y uh, DNA haplogroups. And the Y DNA haplogroups are the male DNA haplogroups, which are inherited from the father to son. Mm -hmm. The Y DNA haplogroups, um, is it uh, I1, is associated with Nordic and Germanic people. So uh, HPG, uh, I I1 is a branch of HBG1, which is found quite frequently in Europe and in a few places in the Middle East. And HBG uh, I1 is associated with the descendants of the Israelite of the Old Testament. Now, it's See, interesting. It's, uh, okay, yeah, please continue. Sorry to cut you yeah, off there. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, uh, that's, that makes it so, yeah. Okay. So um, I'm counting the different haplogroups. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Uh, ten northern tribes by any chance? <laughs> okay. So 
I think what we are seeing here, and it's worth comparing the Celtic, that is the British. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, he does have England here. Okay. So, anyway, these... He also includes Sephardic Jews down here. I would totally exclude, I would include, exclude Jews altogether, okay? Because anybody who knows uh, Jewish ancestry is the Sephardic Jews come from Edom, okay? They would only have a very, very small percentage of blood from Jacob, or from, uh, I'm sorry, from Isaac and Rebekah. Very, very small because because Esau married into the Canaanites, and so his blood became very, very diluted generation after generation, I'd say to the point where there's almost nothing left of, uh, you know, uh, white, you know, Adamic blood left in those people. And the Ashkenazi Jews have no Israelite blood whatsoever. They're not even Shemites. Uh, If they have any white blood, or Adamic blood, it comes from Japheth, not from Shem. So, you know, so I guess he's not really aware of the identity, you know, uh, studies that have been done about Jews, you know, excluding them from Israel altogether. Back to you. Yeah, I think that is the, but here is the, all the haplogroups. Right. Kind of interesting to see that there are differences. Yeah, uh, that would depend on the father, right? That, yeah. That, yeah. So the vast majority of our people really are R1A and R1B. Okay. And then there's subhaplogroups underneath those uh, that uh, are a study in themselves. Okay. So, for example, my haplogroup, I think, is H, if I remember correctly. Under, underneath, it's either underneath R1A or under R1B. And uh, I'm closely, uh, Marie Antoinette has the same haplotype as I do. And so does Warren Buffett. <laughs> Warren Buffett, who's the head of uh, what's that big insurance company with the, with the little uh, uh, Geico? Geico, right? The little gecko, right? So, uh, to my knowledge, he is not Jewish, but he he was a, a, a tremendous investor, took advantage of in, insider trading, and became a multi-billionaire as a result. You know, unfortunately. He works with Bill Gates. Now, whether he's involved in the uh, promotion of all these vaccines like Bill Gates's, I'm not sure. I'd have to investigate that. But anyway, they have the same subhaplogroup that I do. Okay. One good one, one bad one. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, okay. Should we read on or should yeah, we? I don't no, know. No, yeah, that, that, there's too much in that. It would take forever to analyze all that DNA material, you know, information in the chart. Yeah. Okay. I can read the German language and religion, then I give you the last one. Very good. The Germans are closely linguistically related to Scandinavians, the Dutch, and British. German is part of the Germanic group of languages, which include the North, North Germanic languages, Danish, Norwegian, Swedish, Icelandic, and... Uh, Farosi and the West Germanic language, German, Dutch, uh, Afrikaans, uh, Frisch, and English. Frisian? The German- okay, okay, please continue. Yeah, there's an interesting connection here, but uh, go ahead, read the last uh, paragraph. Yeah, the Germans are, clo- are also closely religiously related to the Scandinavians, the Dutch, and British because app. half of the Germans are Protestants, like the Scandinavians, and most of the Dutch and British. 
the Reformation even started in Germany when Martin Luther in 1517 nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church. Okay, interesting. Phrygia and Pharaohese are two interesting words. I think they come from Parthia, and the language that the Germans spoke in Parthia was Farsi, F-A-R-S-I, okay, which was a version of Aramaic, okay, and uh, that Farsi is very, very much like German. It's almost identical to German, just as the, uh, who's, who are the Brits? The Welsh. The Welsh language is virtually identical to Hebrew, okay? The Welsh came directly from the area of the Ten Tribes when just before the Assyrians invaded, okay? And they, they called themselves of the, by the name of Amri, the Kumru, the, the, the Welsh are known by the name Kumru, which is a version of King Amri of the ten northern tribes of Israel. So they went directly by ship from uh, Israel, from uh, the, the, the ten northern tribes of Samaria, from Samaria right all the way to Britain and landed on the shores there. That's why the the Welsh language is so much identical to Hebrew. There were all, there was also an overland migration of those people as well, but they maintained more Hebrew in their language than any other of the 12 tribes, okay? So uh, it, it would be hard to say which tribe they came from. It must have been a conglomeration of many tribes that left the 10 northern tribes area and migrated to Britain, okay? So that's why we can say that uh, the, they migrated by sea. Oh, they, they may have migrated by land also, but kept their Hebrew roots. But the later migration of the Parthian Germans, they had uh, learned Farsi, which is virtually identical to German. Okay, So, that's, uh, so we can trace these migrations and the, the changes in language where the Jews cannot trace anything like that. They have, you know, because they're not Israel, <laughs> right? They don't fulfill any of the prophecies, and uh, there's no, and including what the heraldry of the European nations all dates back to the encampments of the twelve tribes of Israel in the desert, in uh, you know, in uh, in Arabia, when Moses was leading them through the wilderness. Okay, we we retain all that heraldry. The Jews do not. Okay, all right, so so uh, the, the last heading here, people who have identified the Germans as Israelites. Many people in the English-speaking world believe that the Anglo-Saxons, Scandinavians, the Dutch, and other peoples are descendants of Israelites. But some deny that the Germans are Israelites as well, despite the fact that the Germans are closely related to those peoples historically, genetically, linguistically, culturally, and religiously. We will therefore mention a few who have identified the Germans as Israelites. And of course, the Anglo-Saxons and the Brits and the Celts on the island of Britain have recognized their common heritage okay, as the same people. The only reason why Britain, why the, the British Israel World Federation and a few others call the Germans Assyrians 
which in a sense is true, but they they say that they're Turks. No, they're not Turks. They're the, the Israelites who stayed in Assyria the longest, okay? But they took over Assyria. They defeated the Assyrians and uh, stayed in there and became known as Parthia. You cannot tell me that the Parthians are Turks, okay? This is a false teaching by the British Israel World Federation. Why? Because they are are doing business with the Rothschilds, and it was from the Rothschilds that this false teaching that the Germans are Turks originated. Why? Because, well, two wars with Germany, World War I, World War II. This is why this false teaching originated among the British, okay? All right. Haven't they, sorry, Eli, haven't they also said that the Germans are from the Assyrians? Yes, yeah, well, but Acer, yeah. Acer, yeah. Yeah, that's Parthia. And uh, there's Mm -hmm. very little teaching that I'm aware of from the British Israel World Federation about Parthia, and that Parthia was a tribe of uh, Pharaoh's Judah. It was all 12 tribes still, but ruled over by Parthian kings. The the so-called wise men, from the east were Parthians. Yeah, but that Parthians. was why it was, yeah. wasn't that also why Herod and all Jerusalem was shaking when the Parthian came because they right. weren't only 12, they were a whole army that came. That's a whole army, absolutely. And the Parthians fought off the Romans to a standstill. The Romans could never defeat the Parthian kingdom, which was just as powerful as Rome. There's so little taught about Parthia that virtually nobody knows anything about them. And this is a reason the Jews don't want you to know that the Germans are of Pharaoh's Judah. They don't want you to know that. Okay? All right, let's continue. We have already mentioned the French Huguenot pastor and Dean Jacques, or Jacob or James, Abadie, 1654 to 1727, who lived in exile in Germany the Netherlands, and Britain. In 1723, Abadie published the book La Triomphe de la Providence et de la Religion, where he wrote, quote, Unless the ten tribes of Israel are flown into the air or sunk into the earth, they must be the, those ten Gothic tribes that entered Europe in the 5th century, overthrew the Roman Empire, and founded the ten nations of modern Europe. Okay? Those are the ten uh, what are they? Horns. The ten horns of the Roman Empire, okay? <laughs> Which uh, we have discussed on, on previous uh, you know, studies of Revelation, okay? And that's excellent. That's, that's correct. In fact, uh, the Jews even have made a similar statement in Jewish publications. Well, what happened to those ten tribes? And they say, well, they must exist somewhere because the prophecy says they will exist. Even the Jews admit that. But they say, the other Jews say, no, they, they uh, intermarried with other races and disappeared. No, we're here. We're here and we know who we are. In 1840, the British-Irish Protestant John Wilson published Our Israelitish Origin, which was based on his lectures he had held throughout Britain in the previous years. Wilson believed the Germans to be just as much a branch of Israel as the British. For example, when he commented on poetry and music, he, espe- he specifically used the modern Germans as an example of an Israelite people. Now, come on, folks. The Angles and the Saxons invaded Britain and took over, right? Took over. 
and they intermarried with the Celts that were already there. But those Celts were also Israelites of Zarajuda. Okay, so when the Angles and Saxons invaded Britain, Zarajuda and Ferris Judah merged together. That's what happened. Am I right, Michael? Yeah, there we have the. That is typical. Yeah, as you said, the uh, Sarah Judah was the one that left, uh, that left um, uh, the Mediterranean, and he formed uh, Rome. He also formed uh, up in yeah. Ireland, England. Yeah, going so all that, the way. Yeah, going all the way back to the Israelite captivity in Egypt. Yes, and isn't right. his color? As, I don't know if this is correct, but his color is that more associated with the red, and yeah. uh, Ferris Judah is yellow. And that right. is why I come to the conclusion why my flag has yellow on it. It is the tra trace of Ferris Judah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, well, the red hand of Ulster is uh, referring to the red string tied around Zara Judah's hand by the midwife who delivered the, the twins. Okay, but uh, Zara stuck his hand out and the uh, midwife tied a red string around his wrist. But he withdrew his hand back in, and Ferris came out first, right? And so those two tribes, sub-tribes, have been fighting it out over who should be. But that's all been solved because the two tribes merged together in Britain, okay, and a couple of other places, but primarily in Britain. That's why we have the Lion of Judah and the uh, Unicorn of Joseph at the national insignia of Britain. Okay, the leading tribes there being Judah and Joseph. Okay, all right, so let's get into the quote here. This is again John Wilson, quote, In need scarcely, it, there's a mistype, uh, it should be it. It need scarcely be remarked that both poetry and music were greatly cultivated in Israel. These were accomplishments which it might be expected would be eminently possessed by a people who were to be peculiarly devoted to the worship of God, the most high over all the earth. Uh, Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, anybody? Okay. And accordingly, they, especially the Germans, have been remarkable for musical talent. Uh, uh, David himself played the harp. Okay. And he loved to dance and particularly as to instrumental music, and the genius of their music appears to be very much like that of the, no, the Jews don't have any genius for music. They, in fact, they didn't uh, come to it until very, very late when, they, when the Christian nations gave the Jews a place to live, okay? That's when they finally started developing music. Yeah, but continuing, with regard to poetry and all its varieties, these nations have been remarkable. Poetry was greatly cultivated, even among the operatives in the cities in, of Germany. I don't know what he means by operatives, okay? But you could see that um, among all the Israelite nations, a tremendous musical tradition in all, in all of our countries, and that still exists today. You know, the British invasion of the 1960s, right? But I would say Germany and the Germanic culture, even including Northern Italy, with all of the great composers there, Joe Green, Giuseppe Verdi, okay, those people, it's all Germanic, it's all Israelite, not Jewish in any way. The, I'd say the only exception 
there's a Felix Mendelssohn who was, you know, focused in Germany, probably half Jew, half German. And uh, his music is, is very remarkable, but very, very few Jews have, have produced good music in the classical era. You have Alban Berg and Schoenberg who produced atonal garbage, absolute garbage. I, I can't even stand to listen to it. It's uh, aharmonic. They don't believe in harmony. And so uh, I, I don't think you can compare Jewish music with uh, you know, Israelite music in any way. Okay. So anyway, Wilson's lectures and his book was the beginning of the British Israel and Anglo-Israel movements. Many later British Israelites have denied that the Germans are Israelites, contrary to John Wilson. I already explained why that is. Okay. The Anglican Bishop J.H. Titcombe of Rangoon, hold on, uh, a, a, a pop-up obscured my vision here, uh, Rangoon, of all places, another of the most prominent early Anglo-Israelites also reckoned the Germans as a branch of Israel like the British. In 1875, British uh, Bishop Titcombe wrote that the Israelites spoken of in Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37, who one day will be gathered will be the Britons, Frenchmen, Germans, Danes, Scandinavians, in fact, all Israelites, okay? Not the Jews. The Jews have never, have never even claimed to, to, you know, because we're told that we will forget our Israelite heritage only to be rediscovered in these end times. The Jews have never lost, never dropped their claim to being the the Judahites of the Bible, okay? So they never had that forgetful episode. Any comment at this point, Michael? No, I'm uh, uh, not. Uh, the, those uh, former, there's many former authors here that has identified the Germans as Israelite, but then as you point out here, it has been obscured, has been misled by this British-Israel movement that has been as it's been an, an instrument of the Rothschild to uh, to try to make the Germans not being Israelites, being something else, because, hey, they can't be Israelites, because if the Germans are Israelites, you can't make war against them, and, hey, if they are Judah, then we are what? Then they are impostors, so, yeah. Right. Well, and then uh, the Israelite tribes have had a, an entire history, even in the Old Testament, of fighting against each other, okay, the tribe of Benjamin was nearly wiped out by the other tribes at one point. And it's interesting, he, uh, he doesn't mention the tribe of Benjamin, you know, whose symbol is the wolf, okay? And there were seafaring Benjamites. Obviously, they made it all the way to Iceland, okay? So they, they were called the sea wolves, just like the Vikings, you know, had their ships. The Benjaminites had their uh, ships as well. They were also sea raiders called the sea wolves. The Anglo-Saxons had ships as well, and they, they were pirates and raided. raided. They, they would sa sail up the rivers of Europe and raid towns and cities. So virtually every tribe of Israel was engaged in uh, raiding with ships. Okay? And obviously, now here is interesting that the Danes, uh, something very interesting most people don't know, is that the Vikings had the, uh, I think it's called primogeniture, if I'm not mistaken, namely that the eldest son 
would get a double inheritance. This is an Israelite tradition. How in the world would the Vikings have such a tradition if they weren't Israelites? You know, this is not a pagan tradition. This is an Israelite tradition. So what was happening up in your neck of the woods there was that the eldest son would take the double inheritance and not give his younger brothers anything. Okay? This is very strange. Go ahead. I know I've been reading that if there were an if there was an, um, a lady also that was born before, then she didn't get the inheritance. Then they have to wait uh, until a man came. So it was always going on on the patriarchal uh, side of it. That's what I also read in about uh, the Vikings and yeah, yeah, up here in Nordic. Yeah. So that proves that, that they're Israelites. There's no way a pagan country would have a tradition like that. They could care less about the eldest yeah, son. Exactly. They they wouldn't notice that, but they say that, oh, but we had it first and you took it. You know, this Odinist, they believe in, in someone that did exist. Yeah, we, we haven't spoken about that before, that Odin did right. exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we made it all the way up to Sweden, <laughs> right? And, uh, and Odin was, by all accounts, he was a Judahite. And as this article points out, and this is true of Parthia also, that these various Israelite tribes would seek out or one way or another wound up being led by a a member, a descendant of Judah. Okay, which Odin was. He was a descendant of Judah. And so he was chosen as their leader because they recognized Judah as the scepter tribe. And, you know, there's no telling how many other Israelite tribes were under Odin's rule, but they would have been probably members of all 12 tribes as he migrated north from Acer, i.e. Assyria, okay? So uh, this is, uh, you know, we in identity are the only people who know about this, and the, and the Jews, of course, want to suppress this information as much as they possibly can. So obviously, the Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones is a reference to all Israel, all the 12 tribes of Israel. And we're also told that in the last days, Joseph would be a flame, Judah a fire, and the Edomites would be stubble. Okay? So that day is coming, folks. Uh, it's ensconced in that uh, wonderful uh, tri- uh, uh, poem, The Wrath of the Awakened Saxon. Okay? Which, uh, oh, I forget the author's name now, a British poet. And he's talking about poetry and music here. You know, the the heritage of the Israelite people in terms of music and poetry is incredible, absolutely incredible. Goethe was, in my opinion, the greatest German poet, and he wrote Faust, which is the epic poem about uh, an Israelite selling his soul to the devil, right? Namely, working for the Jews for money, (laughs) right? Okay, and uh, fantastic poetry. And then, you know, and I don't think anything compares to the poetry of the English poets, you know, uh, Butler, Yeats, and the rest of them. I mean, there nothing compares to that kind of poetry. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's Israelite and, poetry. Uh, Go back to you. I read um, Herbert. Brother Herbert said it's Kipling. You were referring to Kipling. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And so. That's one of the greatest poems ever written. You know, the wrath of the awakened Saxons. Very prophetic. Okay. All right. So, uh, uh, where was I? Uh, and in 1926, the Norwegian capital. Oh, 
Okay. In 1926, the Norwegian captain Ole Jorgen Janssen wrote Israel e de Sista Daga, Israel in the Last Days, where he wrote that the Germans were the tribe of Levi, Prussia was Simeon, and Austria was Reuben. Well, you know, I think we've pretty much concluded that France is Reuben. But again, there's an intermixture. We can only say that one tribe predominates in a particular country. Uh, I think possibly the only two cases where it's virtually 100% is Holland. Okay, Holland being, uh, oh, I forget the tribe now. What is Holland? Um, Sebelon. Sebelon. Uh, uh, Zebulon. Zebulon. Thank you. And uh, Iceland being, uh, uh, being uh, the wolf. Okay, being Benjamin. Benjamin. Yeah, so nearly 100%. Yeah, but never, it's never 100%. There's always an admixture of other tribes in, in every city, Israelite country. Okay, so, uh, so, but there's probably some Reuben in Austria too. Concerning Levi being Germany and Moses' blessing to Levi and Simeon, Johnson wrote, quote, The first part of the prophecy is about the past of this tribe to which Moses belonged and about their service in the wilderness. The last part is about the future and and rehabilitates Levi after he is separated from Simeon. The spiritual direction of his seducing brother, which is the fallen Prussia, Germany, uh, which he, what does he ascribe to Prussia? Levi? Yeah, he did. Uh, Levi being Germany. Okay. Which during the Reformation, uh, yeah, no, okay, no, go no, ahead. Was Simeon. Simeon, okay. Simeon. Which dur- the, during the Reformation was Christianity's force on the European continent, Prussia, with reformers such as Luther and many other pious men are the descendants of Levi, which was the priestly tribe. Now, the interesting thing about Levi, Levi was assimilated into all the other tribes. Okay, so you would find Levi in all 12 tribes in every single Anglo-Saxon nation. Okay, without a doubt. Okay, the name of Levi's eldest son was Gershon. And if they had called themselves Gershonites, then we would have recognized them immediately. (laughs) However, oh, Gershon, German, German, Gershon, okay, Gerson, son of Gershon, then we would have recognized them immediately. Now, however, they are called Germanic peoples, and German. Uh, the Hebrew word ger means kinsman. Okay, ger man kinsman. In 1931, the German Paul Sentius, Sentius published the book Die Stämme der Israeliten und Germanen, the Israelite and Germanic tribes, where he stated that the Germanic tribes were the descendants of the Israelite tribes of the Old Testament. Sentius reached much the same conclusions as presented in this study. He believed the Franks to be of Reuben, there we go, the Swabians and the Alemanians of Simeon, Bavaria of Levi, and the Jutes and the Alemannic tribe of the Juthungen to be of Judah. Now, the what's today called the Danish Peninsula? Yeah, that is called Judah. It was formerly called Jutland, Land of Judah, folks. That's what it was originally called, okay? 
Sentius also wrote that the name Germanic, Germans, means strangers from Armenia. Interesting. Because the Germanic tribes had trekked to Germany through Armenia. It's possible. There, were also, there was also a city in um, Armenia, Kerman, with a K instead of a G. Okay? So, in any case, you have tons of cross-references to what we call the Fertile Crescent, Armenia, uh, Assyria, etc., uh, of these Germanic tribes coming from there and settling in Europe. I mean, the Israelite connection is absolutely proven by just checking the facts and going back in history. Okay. Continuing, one of the best contemporary books about the 12 tribes of Israel is Uncovering the Mysteries of Your Hidden Inheritance by Robert Allen Belikus. In his book, the Germans are described as one of the Israelite nations on page 98. In the book, Israel's Tribes Today, Stephen M. Collins writes that the Germans are the Israelite tribe of Gad in the chapter on the tribe of Gad, Rising from Defeat to Prominence, pages 218 to 223. Yeah, and Gad seems to be overlooked uh, in, in a lot of the prophetic uh, you know, uh, migrational literature. But they were, Gad was in uh, London, and uh, when uh, London was founded, and uh, it was uh, London was founded by the tribe of Zarajuda. Okay, and oh, I forget what the original name of London was, but uh, it was also, uh, formed by by Dan because of you have yes. those two in it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's a lot of presence of Gad and Dan in Britain way way before the Germanic migration, way before. Yeah. Okay. And it's Gad associated with the castle at Insignia. They have this building. So they are probably very good builders. Right. Yeah. And I forget the uh, Zara Judah descendant who uh, actually founded Rome and Troy, the Trojans. Okay. I think New Troy, Care Troy. That was the original name of London. Folks, Care mm-hmm. Troy. And uh, the tribe of Gad accompanied the Trojans, to London, and they're the ones who founded London. There's a heavy presence of Gad in that area, okay? All right, so uh, next, Dr. C, we have about 10 minutes left. Dr. Stephen E. Jones is the pastor of God's Kingdom Ministries, Minnesota, USA, and specializes in prophecy. Dr. Jones identifies Germany as Judah and writes that Germany and prophecy fulfills the God's prophecies to Judah and fits into Judah's prophetic timeline, and he quotes, Jacob Israel had prophesied in Genesis 49:10 and 1 Chronicles 5:1 and 2 that Judah was called to provide the monarchies for the house of Israel in ancient times. And we just discussed this already. This was fulfilled through King David, who was of Judah. It also meant that Jesus, the true king, was to come from the tribe of Judah through the line of David. In later history, we find that virtually all the monarchs in Europe are actually German. Even the present British monarchy was imported from Germany in 1714, King George, King George I. Thus, Germany has been fulfilling the prophecies of Judah for many centuries. It is not surprising then to find Germany paying for the cursed time penalty for Judah in World War II. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, That's a a subject uh, I'm not too familiar with. Cursed time. 
I, likewise, it is not surprising to find the other Israel nations paying the judge time penalty for Israel in World War II. That, that's uh, something that uh, Jones has come up with. I'm not too familiar with that, uh, the curse time and the judge time. William Fink has in great detail traced the German people back into the lost tribes of Israel in the series of articles, Classical Records and German Origins, uh, dated 2007. The above-mentioned people and the author of this study all identify the Germans as Israelites. Those who identify the Germans as specific tribes do not all reach exactly the same conclusion, but they do identify the Germans as Israelites specifically of the tribes descended from Leah. Very interesting. Okay. So, this, uh, this concludes the study with all kinds of bibliography attached of uh, our study here of this article, NordiskIsrael.dk. Okay, so for those, since I can't put it in the chat room, uh, it's N-O-R-D-I-S-K-I-S-R-A-E-L.dk. Okay, and so that's the main website, and I think you just go there, or just search for this Germany, a branch of Israel by Mikkel, Sternholm Krag. So if you just put in Germany, a branch of Israel by Krag, K-R-A-G-H, I'm sure this article will come up in a search. Okay. So any comments here from you uh, oh, that uh, you know, the Swedes, you know, because uh, we talked about the Swedes in a previous uh, edition. And so from your understanding, Michael, uh, the Swedes are composed of which tribes primarily? For when I done when I read and when I compiled, it is from from Asher and from um, Naphtali, Naphtali, okay. because we have traces of Asher in our um, in our um, on the, the names. We have names that are said when people come from up from a region called Dalarna. We call them Dalmasar. You have the word Asar in the name. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you and go. Yeah, and they also, and then uh, we were referred. Then they have this uh, what they call it, uh, uh, Odinism. They call it Asatru, but that is not really true. <laughs> it is because <laughs> I didn't think of that. Asatru has the yeah. AS in there. Interesting. Yes, yes it's a- mm-hmm. Asher. And when mm-hmm. um, I believe that uh, because Odin he left from the area of uh, Azerbaijan, and also we have this famous uh, Heyendal, who was a Danish uh, um, explorer. And he was also uh, searching out the traces of finding Odin. And he was also looking in Azerbaijan because he realized that there were so many similarities between those nations. He saw the, he saw the similarities there. So he, he uh, hey and all, you probably know him. He did some daunting uh, trips and proving uh, uh, to be a good sailor. So he did some tr- trips and he also did that uh, to try to find Odin. Right, right. Yeah, and the pagans of Northern Europe and of pagans of all of Europe don't realize that Odin was an Israelite, probably most likely of the house of Judah, okay, because the Israelites always uh, sought out if, if the leader wasn't already a descendant of Judah and a, therefore a descendant of David. Uh, if they didn't seek someone like that out, he was naturally inclined to lead the rest of the Israelites anyway in the migrations, okay? And that's what the case of Odin is, okay? So quickly here, let's see. <laughs> okay, I'm looking at, it's a, it's a short article anyway. 
So I'm looking at this article, historyhit.com, the title of which is How Otto von Bismarck Unified Germany. Okay, and we also already talked about, and this occurred late. On 18 January 1871, Germany became a nation for the first time in history after a nationalistic war against France, masterminded by the Iron Chancellor, Otto von Bismarck. And, of course, this is known as Prussia. The ceremony took place in the Palace of Versailles. Why does it always happen in Versailles? <laughs> Outside Paris rather than in Berlin. And this overt symbol of militarism and conquest would foreshadow the first half of the next century as the new nation became a major power in Europe. Well, maybe that's why the French are always, you know, um, angry about this. Okay, why not in Berlin? Good question. Maybe, you know, Os- uh, Bismarck was spitting in the French face. <laughs> maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> All right. A motley collection of states. Before 1871, Germany had always been a motley collection of states, which shared little more than a common language. Customs, and we were talking about the Hanseatic League, which would be northern Germany. And they had really very little in common with the central German states because they weren't seafaring. You know, they they were landlocked uh, provinces. Spoke the same language, same culture, etc., but they were not seafarers. Customs, systems of rule, and even religion varied wildly across these states, of which there had been more than 300 on the eve of the French Revolution, and the idea of unifying them was as distant and disparate as the United States of Europe is today. Well, they're not really united anymore, are they? Until Bismarck. As the 19th century progressed, and particularly after several German states had played a role in defeating Napoleon, nationalism did become a genuinely popular movement. However, it was mainly held by students and middle-class liberal intellectuals who called upon Germans to unite based on shared language and a tenuous common history, so-called, right? This guy, whoever wrote this article, is not aware of the you know uh, identity of Germany as an Israelite country, okay? But it's, nevertheless, it is tenuous. It was tenuous, okay? Uh, the power of Prussia, the power balance of the German states was important for if one was ever more powerful than the others put together, then it might attempt a conquest of intimidation. By 1848, Prussia, a conservative and militaristic kingdom in the east of Germany, and North had been the strongest of the states for a century. Now, it's interesting, this being the case, for over a century, Prussia was the, the strongest, but never attempted to invade the rest of Germany. Okay? This shows how much respect they had for the other Germans. However, it was the Battle of Waterloo, where Wellington and Napoleon had fought to a standstill. It was the Prussian army that came in and saved the day for the French. Okay? This is not a popular theme, but it was the Prussian army that, uh, you know, determined the the result of the Battle of Waterloo. Okay? Most people don't know this. All right, so uh, just a very brief commentary. that So 1871 was when Germany was first united. 
and it was so late. I mean, this is what just forty years before World War One. Okay, so the Germans did not have a record of colonial expansion. Uh, the the slur that the Germans are a militaristic people and have tried to conquer the world many times over is just absolute rot, folks. Not even Hitler tried to conquer the world. His uh, his uh, respect for the British proves it. Your comment here at this point with only a couple minutes left, Michael. Um, yeah, I uh, agree this that they always want to smear the Germans to being militaristic, and but they does doesn't they doesn't. If Prussia would have been that powerful, why didn't they just conquer the whole of Germany if they were so up yeah. to war? Why didn't they just took it for themselves? No, they didn't because they are not militaristic. That is, uh, I don't, because those enemies, the, because the Edomites doesn't like people that are, I guess, militaristic because they are not. Yes, they are not. And uh, it was if if you want to talk about militarism, how about France? Hey? Yes, they they was a formidable army during a long time in Europe, and yeah. even, uh, before never, Napoleon. even before Napoleon, even before Napoleon, yeah, even before there was a bit. They were probably the biggest one that uh, that power that you, you didn't want to mock with. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Russia had its militarism too. Okay, so of all these countries, I would say Germany was the least militaristic. Yeah, even even Sweden was more militaristic than Germany. <laughs> right? Okay. So this is a total smear invented by the Jews, folks. All right. Okay. So we don't have any theme music uh, because I had to uh, go to my backup computer. And But nevertheless, this is a very important subject, how the Germans have been smeared, you know, as, you know, uh, thugs and uh, Turks and whatever smear word they could come up with. This is all Jewish propaganda, folks. That's all it is. Okay, Michael, thanks for being on with me again. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully I'll get my com- my main computer running for the Voice of Christian Israel. Otherwise, you know, I'll try to update this computer so I can get on the chat room and all that kind of stuff. All right, Michael, thank you very much. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition, Michael. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining you today. Okay, take care. All you Israelite people, keep the faith. Don't lose. Don't be subject to the fear mongers who are trying to instill fear. There is nothing to fear but fear of COVID. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. See you next time. Bye-bye.